Nobody too cool. Your big homie Rob, you know what it is. It's Rob Markman on Twitter. Send all your hate, man. You know how we do it. Toast for them and keep positive energy and hella smoke for them. Smoke for them. Bumping high grade liquor for my niggas. Never seen a ghost in person, now she riding in one. Never seen a ghost in person, cost me five figures. That's like 50 G's a person if you riding with us to the sky's limits. Roll some weed and get high with winners. My niggas eating when it's time for dinner. It's just a regular thing to us. Cause if it ain't getting money, it's strange to us. And if you don't want to smoke, you ain't got a babe I'm rolling up by myself, trying to find a way Floating away building the team now absolutely uh the team just consists of um what has motivated me um to get to this point and what i see taking me into the future not me personally but just um you know i feel like my spirit is worldwide and we all share the same spirit um i want to get this clothing line started yeah, I want to get this clothing line started. I want to, um, I want to, I want to see what the first, what the first project LLV, um, probably, I'll, probably a T. I want to see what the first T would look like. I'm definitely copying me one. Well, I need you to help me design it. Uh, sure. I don't necessarily know what it would look like. Um, I think we should look at a lot of good clothing brands, like high fashion brands, and look at their designs and probably, like, you know, not steal an idea, but, like, you know, let that influence our ideas. Yeah, I definitely want to look at Off-White and what they've done. Um, I definitely want to look at, um, what is it called, V-Loan? Yeah, V-Loan. Off-White V-Loan? Not Off-White V-Loan, but V-Loan. Yeah, I want to look at V-Loan. I want to look I at. Sh- I gotta get me one of them shirts for the uh, basketball party. Yeah, for real. Them bitches run like two fifty. I gotta do it. <laughs> you gotta do it. <laughs> yeah, I wanna. I wanna try to do one of those. Um, 
I don't know, because I'm really getting into this podcast and I'm really getting into the brand. Like, and and I think, and the logo is so dope where I know for a fact we'll be able to make a shirt. Oh, yeah. And it's going to look hard as shit. Like, it's going to look so dope. And, um, you know what would be hard? What's that? Like, if we could find like a place to put like every title of every episode on each item of clothing. I yeah. And make like a collection. So, like, so like go up to I think I should stop season one at like twenty episodes and then make like a collection of twenty pieces. Yo, that would be hard. Hell yeah. Yep. Because all the titles are dope. Yep. And find a way, maybe maybe put one of the titles on on the back collar. Put one of the titles um you know, I don't know, within the V somewhere. Put one of the titles Fucking on the tag, like you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Just like on some subtle shit. Hey, see, we got a few ideas going right now. Shit. Yeah. Cause I think subtleties are so dope too. Like you ever seen people that have like like what was I I was watching some sometimes I'd be going on like GQ and watching like what they do, like GQ jewelry, like celebrities come on and show off their jewelry. And I was watching this one G- GQ jewelry uh, episode, and I forget who it was, but he had just like this $300,000 diamond necklace just tucked in, and he was talking about how it's just like a subtle accent. It's like, you don't really know it's there, but then like you see the shine, and it like blinds the fuck out of you. You're like, oh, this nigga got like 300000 just tucked in under his neck. Yeah, that's hard. I like, I love, I love being subtle. I don't like being flashy. Speaking of being subtle, bring my fucking gold necklace tonight, bitch. I got you. The fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I was I was thinking about that too. You were? Yeah. I mean, honestly, if I don't have it when we come downstairs, you can be like, yo, go get my shit. Well, no, I'm big yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I we gotta figure out this jewelry shit. I mean jewelry shit, this clothing shit. Yeah, I'm down for that, man. All right, let me hop into this. You know, actually, sidebar real quick. I just I just DM this dude named Dom Jackson. He has this podcast that's called uh, Two Somethings, Two Something Cena Pod. Maybe sounds weird, but long story short, I don't know. I was like Gary V follows him, and um, in his title on Twitter it says podcast about culture, NFTs, fitness, music, good vibes, and a whole lot of fuckery. It sounds a lot like it sounds a lot like what I'm doing with Project LOV. That's gonna be the title of my next episode. A whole lot of fuckery. Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I like that. A lot of fuckery. Um, but uh, anyway, I reached out to him, and I'm gonna try to. Oh, and Hassan, we're Hassan. Me and Hassan and I. If if this nigga can get back to me, we might be recording today. Oh shit! Man. Yeah, we might be recording today. Uh, but if not. It's definitely happening. Like we've been texting. Like we've been like just like on some like friendship shit. Like just texting about. Like he said he was with Dame yesterday. Like in the studio going over shit. And like he was saying like, and that's so. And he says it so subtly because that's like actually his mentor and his friend. Like that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's fucking amazing, dude. Yeah. But I'm trying to go on this. Uh, I'm trying to go on this podcast with them, and uh, see if they want to like do some cross promotional type shit. 
Okay, that'd be lit. Yeah. All right, let me let me hop into this, this to this episode though. I got some I got some interesting topics that I just picked off. So I, I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna say, obviously, but um <laughs> I'm gonna hop in. I'll hit you back. Or actually I won't hit you back. I'll fucking see you in like four hours. All right, bro. Hey, remember, remember what to do. Do not have your shoes on. Bring them in a bag and then put them oh, on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, got you. All right, because Cindy will kill me if you wear them damn shoes. Yeah, but they, you know, they ain't never been worn. Well, I know. I mean, you can wear them inside, but you cannot wear them, um, like, outside. Yeah, absolutely. Ever in life before you come in this house. <laughs> Would you, um, Let's say y'all was rich and y'all had a fucking maid. Would it matter then? Yeah, for sure. It still would matter. It's dirty as shit, dude. That's some that's some grimy rat shit. <laughs> All right, I was just asking. I thought it was because like y'all not ain't cleaning my house, so no, y'all not wearing your sheets. I clean this shit, so yeah, y'all gotta take your sheets off. No, I just don't want to see any dirt from you in my house. Oh damn. Yeah. And bring a and bring a trash bag too, and get all your shit from my basement, nigga. <laughs> it's like, mm. it's like, nah. All right, I'm gonna see you in four hours, though. Mm. All right, see. So it's New Year's Eve, and um, twenty. You know, I combined 2021 and 2020. So I combined 2020 and 2021 all into the same shit. So in my mind, it's been just all one blur and just all one year, but 2022 is right around the corner. And that's kind of dope. Um, it's new year's Eve, obviously. And well, I think sidebar real quick, ADD moment, what you just heard is also, uh, Dez and I talking about some clothing line shit. I I think I want to do it. I'm 14 episodes in now, 15. Um, I feel really sharp with, I feel really sharp with the brand, with with the flow of the podcast, the messaging, the things that I'm talking about, and just the community that I built in the short time. Um, and I'm seeing a T in my future, a T. Uh, I'm seeing shit. I'm seeing a lot of pieces. Like I'm seeing like a T, a fucking really expensive like three hundred dollar turtleneck on some like Tom Ford shit. I'm seeing a. I'm seeing like a oversized pajama pajama type shirt, um, very similar to the the vintage 2009 no 2013 one. That's uh, pretty much oh yeah, pretty much. I was gonna say ten years, not ten years yet, but pretty much ten years, eight years old that I have. That's from um, that's from uh, off white. I'm seeing I'm seeing some joggers. I'm seeing some socks, definitely. Like I, I, like I really honestly think LLV could be a whole movement and a whole brand. So, um, I was talking to Dez about making some tees and some and some other clothing and just try to see what it looks like. And worst case scenario, nobody wears it. I fucking wear it. I I love it. I appreciate it. Um, and I think anything you do, you should appreciate it more than anyone else. For for instance, I listen to this podcast more than anyone else, and I think that's the way it should be. I listen to it mainly for sound quality and and just consistency and flow of the conversation. But um, I I also listen to it because I fuck with it. Like I think it's really dope, and uh, 
I actually enjoy hearing myself. Maybe that's some Kanye West egotistical shit, but fuck you. You know, I think everyone should love themselves as much as I love myself. So um, as always, this is Isaac Jones, and this is another episode of Project LLV. And um, yeah, so what we're going to do today is I actually have more than three or four different topics here. I have one, two, three, I have like nine topics, and and I'm going to see if I can power through them because in a moment here, I'm going to start to wash my balls. Um, shave my face, maybe trim my balls up for the lady a bit. Um, I'm going to get, I got a, I got a, I got a fucking express $200, uh, turtleneck. I got a $300 blazer. I got, um, I got 200 bucks slacks on a thousand dollar watch, another thousand dollar necklace. Like I'm, I'm doing my thing tonight. You know, it's New Year's Eve. We're having a small little, um, COVID free, vaccine fucking you know fucking protected just chill little get together tonight tonight um and we're gonna see what what the night what the night brings us i think for me um it's gonna be a dope conversation tonight it's gonna be interesting times there's gonna be a lot of alcohol um and so i'll probably need to start drinking more water actually um because um because that's a really good thing to do when you're going to be drinking a lot. So let me take a sip here and we're just going to hop in. So I think in for starters, I, again, am excited about making this episode because I do have a lot of topics today that are pretty, um, pretty important to me. And yeah, I'm going to stop filling time and I'm just going to jump in. So the first topic that I wrote down, which actually was a leftover from my previous episode with AJ yesterday is the following. Um, what's one thing that you know would change the life of someone you love? So what's one thing, what's one idea um, that you can present that you are comfortable sharing that you feel could change the life of someone you love? Um, this idea, I think when I, when I came up with it, it stemmed from just the core value set that I always have, which is I'm Captain Savaho. Like literally, I am the captain. I probably want to get a T or like my first piece probably for the Project LLV uh LLV brand will probably be uh a t-shirt that says Captain Savaho. Um, because that's really what I am. Um I'm always looking to save people. I always want to try to swoop in and make someone feel whole, give someone a piece of advice, love someone, kiss someone. Um you know, make someone feel great about themselves, encourage someone. It's always something I do. If I have money, like I have no problem giving a homeless person a hundred dollars. If I, like, if I was rich, if I was rich, I would definitely give a homeless person. I would, I wouldn't even think twice giving a homeless person $20,000, $30,000. I would literally not feel, um, any sort of, uh, any sort of, I don't give a fuck. Like I can't even think about what I, I would, I would give them ev- everything that I have. Like I, I wouldn't have any sort of, um, any sort of pausing or, 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 or issue with doing that. Sorry guys. My, my ADD is kicking in because my, my fiance is texting me about setting the scent warmers because we're having people over. So anyway, let me get into the podcast. I will give a homeless person everything that I have. And I think for me, if I'm thinking about choosing one person, 
and helping them and giving them some advice or giving them something that I have or giving them anything to change their life, my gut goes to, you know, my gut goes to my fiance, actually. It was a tie between, it was a tie between, um, it was a tie between my fiance and my mom. But I think I'm going to lean more towards my fiance because I need to get more in the, the healthier place of getting space for my mom and stop trying to be Captain Save a Ho for her. Um, if I were to give one thing for my fiance, you know, I would probably give that I think would change her life. I would probably, I would probably eliminate eliminate two factors that she has. I would eliminate anxiety, and I would eliminate. I would eliminate the 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 level of doubt that she has because I think everyone has a certain amount of doubt, but I think she has a lot of it. So I would lim- eliminate, and, th- and those are kind of connected to each other, right? Like anxiety and doubt are brothers and sisters and cousins, right? Like they 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 go hand in hand with each other. But if I could eliminate and if I could help and if I could support one human being, it would be my fiance, and it would be eliminating doubt and eliminating anxiety. The anxiety piece I've seen cripple her in school. I've seen it cripple her in many situations in life and and it breaks my heart. And so if I could take that away from her and get her to either literally not feel it at a chemical level or literally make it so weird, she can analyze and, and harness the anxiety and put it into a different mentality, I probably would do that. Um, it's for me something that I, I must do. It's for me something that I need to help make that work for her at some point in life, whether it's this, you know, theoretical concept here in this podcast where like I'm a freaking Captain Save-A-Ho fairy and I have this wand and this wizard and I can just all of a sudden eliminate, you know, anxiety for her, for her, or if it's obviously therapy and other things, like it, it has to go away. And it's something that, it's something that I think, you know, I wonder, I, you know, sidebar again, I wonder what anxiety actually does for you. Like, why is anxiety within the human body? Is anxiety, is anxiety a version of fear based off of like the lion and tigers and bears with the way humans were designed, right? Because the way humans were designed, we were probably given fear and given anxiety and given um, given the ability to question things because we had to be like, oh, is that a tiger? Is that a bear? Is that a lion? Is that is that a, a, an animal that will literally kill me and my tribe? If so, I need to get scared. I need to have anxiety. I need to get a. I need to get really fearful so I can run away. So I can get the fuck out of here. Is it that? Is that what we have? Is that why we have it? And then over time, it's just materialized into being anxious about what people think about us, being anxious about our money, being anxious about what what careers we choose, being anxious about making the wrong decisions. Like over time, did it develop from literally being anxious about a tiger literally about to eat my child all the way to if someone disrespects me or someone makes me feel less than, I am now feeling anxiety. I am now afraid. I am now very frustrated. Like 
I don't really know the data and the science behind how it evolved and if that's really the original point. But if it is, if that is the original centerpiece, then I think, again, I'm a wizard here and I can make it all go away. I would make that go away. I would I would either make it go away or I would make her look at it and help her look at the anxiety factor differently because I've tried a lot. And I think, number one, I'm too close to her. Number two, I think my coaching and communication style um, with my fiance is one that is not one that it's not the greatest, if I'm being frank with you. Like it's one that, I don't know, I guess I'm just too close to her, if I'm being frank with you. Like I guess I'm honestly just too close to her because because I want her to be okay so much. I want her to um, not feel what she's feeling so much that my it makes me uncomfortable seeing her uncomfortable. It makes me anxious seeing her anxious. So that's one. I think the second factor is doubt. Um, I think the doubt that she has in herself as it pertains to like, she would right now, and I've told her this, she right now could go make 60 to a hundred thousand dollars a year. No problem all day in her sleep, being an executive assistant for a high growth startup or a budding company or an established organization all day long, all day long, all day long. She has the baseline skill sets. She has a desire to be an employee that takes direction and listens to the, that direction very clearly. She has the capability of excelling in anything she puts her mind to. She has the organizational skills. She has she has things that I personally don't have, right? Like, guys, Isaac Jones in my real name in real life, the 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 capabilities, both humans and both variations of me that I have and that I possess are both one and the same. I hate structure. I am not great at process. I am very creative. I am not great at organization. I am not very patient at times. Um, I am not very typical in my uh, approach to solving problems in a organizational or educational or just work environment. I'm very ad hoc. And those are not great qualities for an assistant, right? Those are not great qualities for an executive assistant. Those are not great qualities for a project manager or whatever the case is going to be. And so I think she could do that. And I think there's a level of, um, again, there's a level of fear and a lack of bravery that she has that I just don't understand. And so the the confidence piece, the bravery piece, the 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 self-worth piece, again, if I were to change her life um, immediately like a wizard with, with, this, with one swipe, that is something that I would do. I would make sure that she really understands who she is and what value she can bring to this world and, and how that value can really make an impact, not only in her life, but in the impact of my life and her future kids' lives and her parents' life. Um, yeah, so it would probably be that. And I think, you know, and I've said this before, you want to talk about a pandemic? You really want to talk about a pandemic? We've been living in a pandemic for the last 300 years. Human beings have been dealing with doubt, with depression, with anxiety, with 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 mental pain, with questioning themselves, with so many variables for the last three, four hundred years since we've been in this traditional normal society. That's a pandemic that no one's ever decided to try to fix, right? Why are we mandating? Why aren't we mandating therapy? 
Why are we mandating personal development? Why aren't we sending our parents to jail? I talked about this a couple podcast episodes ago. Send our fucking parents to jail. Send our mom, go to jail. Go to jail. People need to go to jail for these things. It's not a game. It's not funny. It's not cute. We talk about wanting the world to look different. We talk about wanting tomorrow to be brighter. We talk about the kids in the next generation of this great, this great land we call America and world, frankly, and we continue to ignore the mental health variables. We continue to ignore what the mental health variables means for a human being when it comes to bravery, empathy, self-worth, patience, all the factors that we know can bud and create success. So I think for me ending this topic, if I could, again, be a wizard, if I could make it all go away, if I could change her life immediately, immediately, I always say that for some reason, probably wasn't that funny, sorry. Um, I would either eliminate anxiety or give her the ability to, um, I would eliminate anxiety or give her the ability to repackage and reframe her perspectives on the anxiety. And I would, without a doubt, without a motherfucking doubt. Um, oh gosh, the kids are revving up here. So I definitely need to shut this episode down. I can't stand it. These next door neighbors, they don't have any shoes on. It rained and snowed all yesterday and they just don't give a shit. So, so let me wrap this one up. I would eliminate the anxiety or either have a repackage or reframe the anxiety. And I would for sure, without a doubt, have her and have zero amounts of uh, zero amounts of doubt, uh, self worth issues, all of those factors. Um, I love you, babe. You're, you're my you're my rock. You're my everything. You're someone that I cannot wait to have kids with. And one day I will have the power. God will grant me the ability to eliminate those factors for you. Let's get to the next topic. Let's normalize self love. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk, Kanye West, Isaac Jones, <laughs> Jesus Christ, um, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, um, Shaquille O'Neal, um, Russell Westbrook. Yeah, I'm going to stop there because I can't think of, I mean, so many great people. Those human beings love themselves so fucking much. Mike Tyson is one that has grown, that has grown to love himself a lot. Normalizing self-love is something that needs to happen immediately. If we're going to teach our kids anything at zero to seven years old, we need to teach them the foundation of how to love yourself, how to go through the process of loving yourself even once you fuck up, how to go through the process of loving yourself even when you deal with self-doubt, even when you deal with confusion, even when you deal with anxiety, even even when you deal with pain. Normalizing self-love is something that I don't know too many people that actually do. Self-love Again, and I'm being frank, self-love oftentimes, and I got I can't, 
I can't stand this kid, guys. The kid next door and this fucking dog, they tripped me out. So let me end this once again. I'm literally going to call my next door neighbor to, dude, stop your kid from crying. I need him to have like a little bit of self-confidence for a second um, and, and calm down and don't be so reactionary and impulsive to, to cry because there's nothing to cry about, kid. It's okay. Good gosh, it's okay. Um, yeah, he's crying. So I got I to gotta end this and I'm going to get right back to you guys. Give me a second. All right, so I think I uh, I think I just screamed out the window here. So I think I got him to to calm down. So uh, normalizing self love. So the the people that I named, I think they all demonstrate high levels of self love. They all demonstrate high levels of giving so much shit about themselves. They give so they give they give so many fucks. They give so many fucks, and I think. Again, zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years on this earth. Parents should be mandated. Parents should be doing everything in their power to teach their kids how to love themselves, right? Every time a kid makes a mistake, teach the kid how to sit down for a moment, breathe, conduct breathing exercises, and say to themselves, I love me. I made a mistake, but that's okay. I made a mistake, but here's the variables of the mistake that I made, but it's okay. I love me. I am great. I am the shit. I am that nigga. I am king. I am I am a, a son or a daughter of God. I am someone that that will redeem him or herself. Like, like whatever, whatever self-love statements or phrases that you want to teach your child, like again, this isn't this isn't necessarily a self-help. Um podcast. I'm not going to tell you what to say, but going through the exercises and teaching your children how to tell themselves they love themselves, how to go through exercises and meditations and moments to 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 actualize loving themselves, to to have that level of confidence and 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 love for themselves where again it looks borderline egotist, egotistical. Isaac Jones, Kanye West, Michael Jordan, where it looks you know, damn near, you know, militarian, if that's even a world or, or military like or militant, there it is, that's the word, uh, like Shaquille O'Neal and, and what he had with his father, you know, where it comes off very stern and aggressive, even like what Kobe Bryant had, where it comes over very robust and loud and vibrant, like, like a Gary Vaynerchuk. Self-love is fucking needed. I want to see more of that. Love yourself. When you love yourself, that's when only then do you have the ability to make lots of money, to get your body in order, to fuck women and men, whoever your preference is, to the best of your abilities, to be in a very fluid and amazing and productive relationship, to be an amazing parent, to be an amazing friend, to be an amazing human in this world, to be an amazing professional, to 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 do something that you can be proud of. It starts with being egotistical and selfish with oneself. You guys have to understand that. You have to believe that. You have to want that. I think self-love shows up a lot in some of the greatest athletes in the world. Tom Brady loves the fuck out of himself. He has to. Because if, if he didn't, every time he got sacked, every time he made the wrong read, every time he threw an interception, if he didn't love himself, He'd be completely pissed. He would shit on himself. 
Because it's easy to shit on yourself. It's easy to say, oh, wow, like, I'm the worst human ever. I made these mistakes. I'm making a series of mistakes. I must be a fuck up. It's easy to it's easy to say those things. And I think we need to normalize it. I think we need to talk more about it. I love what Mad Happy's doing with their clothing and their and their branding and the way that they're architecting that organization and that brand and that aesthetic. Please check out Mad Happy. And I'm going to do my best to get some of the founders from Mad Happy on this podcast and talk about their come up, talk about what they what they believe their brand means for the world, it means for society, it means for 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 young people today. And here we go. These kids are revving up again. These kids next door and this dog next door and these these neighbors, they don't give a shit. They love themselves probably, right? They actually have probably a lot of self-love because they're doing exactly what they want to do at any point in the day, which I guess I have to give a little, little bit of respect to. But guess what? I love myself so much and I love this podcast so much that I'm, I might I might headbutt a kid. Fuck the next door neighbor who's like 6'4 and looks like freaking, you know, Kimbo Slice. I'm going to take this little six-year-old kid next door and I'm going to I'm going to bang my head against his head. I really honestly might do that if he keeps blowing this damn 2022 2022 we made it like fuck that kid like it's not the time yet it's it's 3:43 in the afternoon like chill out go go drink a juice box and and play halo cool out kid but the punchline is this so we can move on to the next topic self love is a must and we need to normalize it we need to normalize it in educational systems. We need to normalize it at the collegiate levels. We need to continue to have brands like Mad Happy where it's being normalized in clothing. It needs to be normalized in music like what, like what Logic does and like what Russ does. I think, I got a fun fact for you. I think when you, when you hear Baby and Baby and Lil Wayne and Drake and all these great rappers that are actually very boastful, not the vulnerable rappers like Juice World and people like that. Not that shit. Even though I respect that shit. I respect the honesty and the vulnerability. But some of the other rappers I just named, I think that's another example. So I think it needs to be normalized more in, in art, in creative. Whether that's, again, that's clothing, that's music, that's writing, that's poetry, that's film. There needs to be more films about, there needs to be a film that has literally nothing about, nothing more than you know, whether it could be a main character or as a child growing up to be an adult, the whole movie is just based around the narrative of loving oneself. That needs to be normalized. That needs to be talked about more. We need to stop fucking around when it comes to that. Loving yourself is great. Loving yourself looks like masturbating. Masturbating is a form of loving yourself. Taking a buzzy or taking your hand and making yourself come is loving yourself. And it's okay. It's okay to love yourself. Loving yourself is good. Loving yourself is sweet. Loving yourself is fun. So I'm going to shut it down here. This kid is roughing up again. I love you all. Let's jump to the next topic. So a pretty, um, a pretty consistent reoccurring theme seems to be parenting for me. Now, I don't know if it's because I'm 31 and I'm heading towards parenthood soon. I don't know if it's because of a lot of the things that happened with my dad that I shared in the previous episode. I don't know if it's because I feel like I've had the most amazing mother and experience growing up, yet I think there are some adjustments I would make if I were to like 
support her to do it all over again. And I don't know if it's because of the my opinions of my fiance's parents at times or friends of mine's parents and things of that nature. And so I don't know, like for me, parenting is something that is obviously incredibly important, something that I think not many people take seriously from the lens of mental preparation. You know, I always hear the saying, there's no way you can mentally prepare for parent parenthood and there's no way um, you can prepare to, to be a parent. There's no way you, you can prepare to um, embrace your child and support your child and love your child. There's no way you can prepare for the trials and tribulations you'll be facing with your child. I understand that. And I, and I, and I, I empathize with that. I can only imagine what that probably means. But I think for me, I'm trying to, I'm trying to attack this whole parenthood thing a little bit differently. I'm trying to attack this whole child and development and parenting thing from a real strategic, thoughtful angle. And I've been talking to Des about this a lot, you know, just, just how I'm really thinking about it, how I'm trying to capitalize on it. You know, one of my other best friends, AC, he's having a kid soon. And, you know, one of my, my other best friends as well, Michaela, she just had a baby not too long ago. And I have a lot of friends actually that are, that are, you know, getting into um, becoming parents. Cause that's typically what happens between, I don't know, 25 and 35. Right. So the, the topic that I have is pre-parenting school worldwide mandate idea. Yep. I fucking said it pre-parenting school. Right. So here is where the, the concept stemmed from. We all know about premarital counseling and how it's not really a mandate, but it's people heavily advise it, right? Traditional parents heavily advise it. Um, the church obviously heavily advises it. And I just think there's, you know, there's so much content out here and there's so much, so much, you know, information and perspectives and, and, and options for folks to get into premarital counseling. And a lot of it is based off of, hey, marriage is tough. Marriage is difficult. Marriage is complex. And, you know, quick sidebar, a little ADD pivot. I've talked about this at scale where I believe I believe the vast majority of people that are getting into um, marriage are not doing enough thoughtful execution and thinking in that path as well. You know, I got in a fight with my mom the other day because she was saying one of my friends that's getting into the 32nd, 33rd years of life, hasn't found that partner yet. And she was telling me that based off where she is in life and her age, that she may have to expedite the process a bit. And I said to her, I hear you, mom, and and, and I understand where you're coming from. Um, but I don't know if I firmly agree, right? Like I I don't think I don't think you expedite being thoughtful. I don't think you expedite understanding where someone's from. I don't think you expedite understanding someone's value set, understanding how someone's going to attack parenting, finance, what it feels like to literally live together and clean together and 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 vibe together consistently and and uh pay bills together. I don't think you expedite any part of you know a relationship that you would consider marrying someone around. And I don't know. We we talked and we argued about that and she had her point of view, I had mine. And and how I tie this into parenting is and how I tied that into premarital counseling is 
there's no mandate, there's no school, there's no moment, there's no education that says, here's how you would, here's how you set values for your child. Here's how you go about structuring your child's life mentally, physically, financially. There's, there's, from, from my understanding, there's not too many environments or too many business models that have that. So I'm just going to brainstorm a fucking idea off the top of my head around how this should exist. Now, this comes from the core idea and the core value set of the following. And you guys have heard me talk about this. Too many parents are fucking winging it. I'm going to say that again, but even more serious. Too many parents are fucking winging it. And it pisses me off. You do not wing a life. You do not just figure it out on the go and continue to live that way. What you do is you be very thoughtful. You, you're very strategic. You, 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 you map out the emotional value sets, empathy, patience, curiosity, uh, effort, the ability to be resilient, um, loving yourself. All these things that we've talked about in these last 13, 14 episodes, you normalize those things. You understand, you know, communication styles, right? How to harness anger as a parent, how to, how to help your child harness anger and manage anger. All of these variables are so vital, are so fucking vital. Yet parents are not thinking about these things. At best, they're thinking about finances. At best, they're thinking about what fucking Jordans to put on their kids' feet, what school, what preschool to send their kids to, what education you want to provide to your kid. At best, they're thinking about where you want to raise your child. So the idea is this. There should be a school. So you find out that you're having a baby and you're a little late to the party. So you find out a month and a half in, right? Over the course of the next eight and a half plus months, seven and a half plus months, I believe there should be a program. Now, I don't know if it's an online academy. I don't know if it's a physical location. I don't know if it's, I don't, I don't know how you necessarily deem who teaches or who is a great parent or not. I don't know if you, you break it off into subsections of parenting styles. I haven't got that far with the concept and idea yet, but I do know this. You're seven and a half months in, you're seven months in, you're, you know you're going to have a baby. You should be going to some sort of third party environment where you sit down and you really map out what it means to you to be a parent, what it means to you to install empathy, to install patience or whatever soft skill that you want installing your installing your child. Understand and, and talk about the 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 fear. The, the unknown, the, the, the levels of complexity, the anxiety that you, that you will encounter around being a parent. And I believe this should be a mandate. So I believe this school could potentially be six weeks, six months, four weeks, four months. I don't, I, again, I haven't gotten that far yet, but I do believe there should be some sort of a mandate that says, when you find out you're having a child, it is the law in any given state, country, or continent, or whatever the case is going to be, that you go through this process to be able to think strategically, unpack strategically who you want to be as a parent and who you want your child to be and how you're going to navigate those waters. 
I know for me, and I've talked, Dez and I talk about this all time, all the time. Accountability, empathy, patience, curiosity, bravery, um, not giving a fuck. These are soft skills and variables that I want to teach my child. It would be amazing to be able to go to an organization or a place where there are parents that have those type of value sets and soft skills inside of their children today. It would be amazing to have a Q&A style. It would be amazing to go through modules. It would be amazing to have all of those moments to really understand what the fuck I'm getting into. Now, I understand and I know that there are probably places and things that this happens. I know this is not some radical, crazy idea that has never existed. But what I do know is this. It's not mandated. Because if we want to continue to talk about the future of this world, being different, being better than what we have right now. If we want to talk about ending racism, if we want to talk about ending poverty, if we want to talk about our kids really adapting to the technologies in the in the future, if we want to talk about our kids having a little bit more patience and a little bit more self-control, if we want to talk about all these fucking things that we talk about, then we need to start mandating things very similar to how, and I gave this example before, You can't just drive through a red light and not give a fuck. You can't just kill someone and not give a fuck. You can't just do a lot of things and not give a fuck. You can't, even as a parent, again, you can't just rape your child and not give a fuck, hurt your kid and not give a fuck, starve your child and not give a fuck. There are so many things that you have to do as a parent that are a must. you, you, You have to do it or you're fucked. You have to do it. And so I think for me, the idea, the concept, and I'll pivot and move on to the next conversation is we need to start mandating these things. We need to start holding parents strictly accountable. And we need to start really understanding how how we're going to teach, support, and educate our parents around how to think proactively about who they want their little ones to be in this world. What I'm noticing and what I personally experienced is that a lot of parents begin thinking about these variables at 14, 17, 19, 21, 30, because they think that, oh, and, and I've been, and I've been on the record of doing this. My, my little sister, I've said, I can't wait till she gets a little bit older because I think she'll really be able to listen to it. Fuck that. I should have talked to her when she was six. Five, seven, nine, twelve. Set the foundational path in bricks. Just like we set the foundational path of take out the trash, clean your room, X, Y, and Z. Set out the finance, set out the you know the foundational path of all the other soft soft skills and variables. So I don't know. Probably wasn't a great idea, but I do believe number one, the idea is there needs to be a pre-parenting school worldwide that is mandated. And that is controlled and that has policies and that, that folks have to adhere to. And there are systems and structures and, 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 and pivots, right? Pivots on the concept, pivots on the model, pivots on improving the concept, making sure that we're adjusting to the now. I think the parenting school of 1987 would look a lot different than the parenting school of 2022. And the one of 2022 is going to look a lot different than the parenting school of 2034. And so that's my idea. I think it needs to happen. I think it's a must. And um, 
hope other people can get on board and, and get behind this because I do believe if we can all get behind this, if we can all admit to ourselves, and that's the first step in anything, right? If we could all admit to ourselves that, you know, I, it would be nice to go to a third party that will hold me accountable, that will teach me best practices, that will that that is mandated, I probably would end up being a better parent. So those are my thoughts. Love you. Let's move on to the next topic. So I might try this one day. I might take a crack at this, and I, and I really don't know. I feel like I should take a crack at it. I feel like it will be a, a really tall order to take a crack at it, but I've always pondered starting a movie studio. There's a previous episode where I've talked about A24 and the respect that I have for A24 and what I think A24 brings to the world of film and storytelling and narrative. Um, it would be dope to, to start a movie studio. A while back, I came up with this concept, and I'm going to read off the topic to you. I came up with this concept. It's titled Movie Studio Concept, where classic movies, timeless films, are created at one time. could take five years. It could take 10 years to create a series of timeless movies, narratives, stories, lessons, a movie based around bravery a movie based around dealing with anxiety, a movie based around kindness and empathy, a movie based around entrepreneurship, a movie based around how to overcome how to overcome just fucked up circumstances, a movie based around how to remain grateful, a movie based around sports, a movie based around family, right? If we look if we really look in the world of film, there's there's always these there's always these cult classics that come around during the holidays, or there's these sports cult classics like Sandlot, or excuse me, Rookie of the Year, or Remember the Titans, and then you get into the the kid space. You have the Little Mermaid, and you have Lion King, for example. You have these fucking juggernauts that will always generate consistent income and consistently generate narrative and stories and, and lessons. And I found this to be very interesting. And so the concept is this. I want to make a movie. I want to create a movie studio where we make movies and all of those pillars that I just mentioned. It could take five, 10 years to make each film or to make all of the films. But the films are only released at a certain point of the year, once a year. So making the best Christmas movie ever and only release it every Christmas. Making the best Thanksgiving movie ever and only creating and only releasing it once a year. Making the best movie about bravery and curiosity and patience in the school system between the ages of eighth grade and 12th grade and only releasing it right before school comes out or right before you go back to school at the end of the summer. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like making these films, making these films that are timeless, that are created really well, great acting, great directing, great storytelling, great narrative, great, great, um, great cinematography, great, great, you know, scoring with the music, right? And the, the, the movie studio, again, would only make these movies over a course of a period of time, and then they would only release them. They would, they, so they, let's say they make five. They would never make any more than those five movies. And let's say those five movies took three years to make. They would never make more than those five movies. 
And those movies will be released for two, three weeks at a time, maybe direct to consumer, maybe in films, once a year, every single year. And there will be a moment where families are excited to see the movie, talk about the movie, gather together to, to experience the movie. Again, very similar to the feelings and the vibe that we feel when we watch, again, Remember the Titans again, or the feelings or the vibe that we feel when we watch Goodfellas again. Imagine if there was a period of time when we watched Goodfellas once a year. Imagine if it was re-released every single year instead of it being out altogether forever. And so the movie studio, what we would do is we would release the film for, let's say, two weeks, each film for two weeks at a certain point of the year, and then it's and then it vanishes. It's never there again. So there's that FOMO complexity that would keep the business model very intriguing. Let's say... Um, Again, since it's done very well, let's say we generate, I don't know, 30 million, 40 million per movie every time it's out. So we're doing 100, 200 million dollars per year. So we have enough capital to sustain the business model long, long term. And then as we gear up and get closer to that, that next release date, we're starting the marketing, we're starting the Instagrams, we're starting the influencer marketing on TikTok. We're starting the YouTube rollouts. We're starting the physical location rollouts. We're starting to get the narrative going. But now people are excited because people are excited about the narrative. They know, oh, this movie around curiosity and patience is going to be great for my, my high schooler. And, I, and we're going to sit down as a family. We're going to watch this. Oh, this movie about, about drug culture and street life and all these other things, right? Like, I don't know what particular time of year that will come out, but we're going to watch that. Or the movie about family and, and, and love and, and, you know, overcoming obstacles as a family and joining forces together will come out every single Thanksgiving and we're going to join forces and watch this. And again, it would have that FOMO complexity that I really think would give the movie studio an upper hand because it's only released once a year. It's an idea that I think is really interesting from a business perspective. I think it could work because we would take, let's call it a hundred, 200, 300 million dollars and make the films one time. So we're not a movie studio that's going to continually make more and more and more movies, we're going to make a film. We're going to make sure it's done well. We're going to make sure the acting is done well. And we're going to re-release it every single time, once a year, at the same period of time, for the same length of time. We're going to do equity shares with, with all the actors and all the directors that helped us put the film together. And obviously the investors that helped us get the money to put the film together. And it'll be that moment where every single year for each film, we'll have that two, three week moment where we're taking over Facebook, taking over Instagram, taking over Snapchat, taking over TikTok, taking over all the platforms, Twitter. And and I just thought that would be dope. So I could be crazy. I could be fucking out of my mind. But I do believe that would be a really dope movie studio concept based off of the cult classic narrative that we all love based off of the way that I think movie studios are in a really odd spot right now, and then based off of the FOMO, because I think what Netflix does is, yes, it's always there when you want to watch it, but I like, for example, when Shameless wasn't out for me to see via Showtime, until they put it on Netflix, there was probably a one and a half year you know, gap where there was nowhere I could get Shameless, or Weeds, for example, right now. I can't get Weeds, and I actually want to see it. Imagine if it was re-released at the same time, people would clamor to go get it. So I think this is a dope concept. I could be crazy. I could be out of the box, um, but a really dope concept, really good business model in my personal opinion. And um, maybe at some point in life I'll do it, or if someone's listening, maybe you guys should do it. So 
cool idea, cool concept. Let's go on to the next topic. Quick question to someone that may know this, because I actually, and I plan on interviewing someone on the podcast that is inside of a music studio that maybe is an A&R and uh, an executive, um, a producer, I don't know, someone that works at a studio, Sony, Columbia, whatever the case is, um, QC. Why don't music labels pay their artists weekly salaries to keep their mind clear and motivated? And what would the salary be? This idea stemmed from something I think Russ is doing right now that I actually respect. I really, really fuck with it. Russ started a, a, a label with his boy Boogus where he told me and told me personally, right? Yeah, like he sat in my fucking house and told me. <laughs> he didn't tell me, but he he said on the interview that um, he paid his artist La Russell. I think he said like three hundred thousand dollars. I say that's what the number was. And he said he paid the artist. Number one, he allowed La Russell to maintain full rights of his music. Um, I'm sure there's a profit sharing somewhere along the lines, but the actual ownership of the music so that La Russell can say, hey, son, I have 500 songs in my catalog. These 93 are yours and I'm keeping the other whatever that number is. Right. La Russell said or Russ said rather. He gave LaRussell, okay, let's say two, three hundred thousand dollars, but he didn't give it to get ownership of anything that LaRussell's doing. He gave it to LaRussell so LaRussell could have a peace of mind. A peace of mind to remain creative, a peace of mind to pay like phone bills and, and rent or mortgage or car notes and eat and like live. And he said that he gave it so that it would be something very similar to an actual career. And that made me think, why can't we set up music labels to to do profit sharing of like, for example, why can't we provide the producers the budgets to make a song, do a 50-50 partnership split on the song itself, but allow the artist to maintain full rights of the song for the longevity of their family or whatever the case is. And why can't the music labels not run off of an ownership model? Why can't the music labels run off of a, um, run off of a, a model like most companies do? Like for example, my, you know, I have a company called Beyond Brand. Yes, I own the rights to Beyond Brand, but ignoring that part for a second, Beyond Brand makes money when we conduct a seven or eight or $10,000 execution. So why can't music labels not make money and not thrive off of the ownership of the song or the ownership of the artist? But why can't the music labels get excited about um, excited about the consistent revenue that they could be making per song, per album, per project, right? So... Again, it costs it costs a studio to produce an album. It costs three hundred thousand, all in marketing, producing, whatever the case is, videos, etc. The, the 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 artist and the studio um, they produce that that album and it makes five million. Why can't I? I don't think I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing of the recouping. Why can't the studio recoup its three? or it's two, whatever they cost. And then why can't the rest of it be a 50-50 split? I, I just don't understand it. And why can't, very similar to what Russ is doing, why can't you pay the artist 
Like, think about where these fucking artists come from. So why can't you pay the artist, you know, uh, a high six-figure C-suite executive salary to just make music every single day? To literally just make music, to get on TikTok and talk to their fans, to promote their music, to to travel around the country and and document their life and and create that lifestyle and that and that aesthetic. Let's call it let's call it a let's call it three hundred thousand dollars. That's a pretty nice salary for a chief people officer or a, or a CMO, chief marketing officer, right? Why can't you Why can't you pay? La Russell, $400,000, breaking and get down. Let me do the math on that. Let's do $400,000. Let's do $400,000 times or divided by 52 weeks. Why can't you pay La Russell $7,500 a week to just make music? Give him a weekly check. And then do the, and then, and then do a profit sharing split on once you're recouped on whatever the projects or the singles or the album sales do and not own the rights. Let allow, allow the artist to own the rights of that. Now, many people listening may say that's a dumb fucking business idea and a, a horrible business model, but why so? Why is it? Why can't we as music labels, why can't we be excited about the consistent revenue? Why can't we bring in the best CFOs in the world to figure out a way where we can still be in the black, do well for ourselves, not have our business model based off of ownership and royalties, but be based off of consistent money that comes in based off of projects and make and based off of the executives internally doing what's right, which is helping the artist produce good, good, good music, helping the artist get in front of different audiences and conduct collaborations and brand deals and why can't we pay our artist from a humanistic perspective a certain dollar amount each fucking week that allows them to, to take care of their families and take care of their lives at a high level? I know the little babies and the money bag goes and the Russes and all these things. I know you see the diamonds and the chains and all the shit. Let's just get really real here. These niggas are coming from the hood. You tell one of these kids right now, I'll give you 7000 a week to just make music and then we'll do a 50-50 split on the back end of any album you put out or any single you put out once you recoup which, 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 what we paid and you get to own that music so that you can pass it on to your children or pass it on to your family. You'll make $300,000, $400,000 a year and then teach them, support them just because it's the right thing to do or not, but I think you should, how to take that $400,000 and invest $100,000 of it a year. What's wrong with that? Why can't that be an indie label? Why can't that be a good business model? Why do we always have to be so greedy to own things and own human beings and own their property and own their IP and have so much fucking ego and greed involved? In my real life, I went through a deal. I went through a situation where I had to shut down a deal and burn the bridge of a relationship because she got so greedy. She baked in the, the the suits and the lawyers and 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 they, and everyone got so egotistical and it fucking blew my mind. Why is everything so much about this ego and this ownership and this control? It doesn't have to be that way. So that was another idea that I had is that again, as a business model, we pay our artists, and and of course you could do it on different tiers, just like a business does. 
A business may pay a CMO with 10 years of experience and certain credibility, $400,000 a year, but they'll pay a CMO at a startup that is 10 years in the game, $250,000. Or they'll pay a young kid out of college that built his own app and got 10 million downloads, but that hasn't had a proven track record of long-term success. Um, Long-term success, $200,000 or $150,000. And then you renegotiate and you keep paying. But but why can't we take the Russ concept and understand that if you want your artist to consistently create from a creative and authentic and 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 optimal place, why can't we pay them a seven thousand, six thousand, four thousand a week salary to do that? They're coming from the fucking slums. You do what? <laughs> Do you have any idea? Do you have any idea what my boy Derek right now would do if I said, Derek, I'm going to give you $5,000 a week just to create? And then I'm like, dude, what? Motherfuckers are motherfuckers are happy making $80,000 a year. We're talking about giving them $80,000 in three months. Think about it. So if anyone out there wants to try to apply this concept, I would love to partner up with some investors, partner up with some people and make something like this happen. I'm fascinated by the music industry. I'm a fucking low key fucking, you know, armchair. What's that saying? A&R that thinks he's an A&R, but I'm really fucking not like I would love to try something like this. So someone send me an email, tweet me. Let's talk about this because I would love to do this. The artists deserve it. The business models can be turned on its head. It's a fucking good idea. Next topic. Don't feed your anxiety by choosing safety over self-growth. Let me say it again because I said growth a little weird at the back end. Don't feed your anxiety by choosing safety over self, self-growth. self There it is. Really, Really think on that. I'll say it one more time. Third time's a charm. Don't feed your anxiety by choosing safety over self-growth. My fiance needs to hear this. Um, one of my best friend's girlfriend needs to hear this. I need, every human needs to hear this. Let me stop. I need to hear this. We all need this. There are, there are things in our lives where we choose anxiety. We choose anxiety, threat response in the mind, literally being stressed the fuck out, having our hair fall out, having our bodies literally asking itself, what the fuck are you doing to me? We choose that. We literally choose that over self-growth, over getting better, over putting in the hard work to not feel that way. Why is that? I'm going to keep this one, this topic very brief because I want you to really ask yourself that question. Why is that? Is this so hard to work on yourself? Is this so hard to no longer be fucked up mentally? Is this so hard to want something better for yourself? Me and my boy Dez, we joke around and say, you look crazy right now. You want your brain to hurt. 
You want to be fucked up mentally. You want to not be okay. You want to be angry. Because growing and getting better is too hard. That's what some may say. So I'll ask it again and we'll wrap up this uh, this, uh, this overall episode. Don't feed your anxiety by choosing safety over self-growth. Because you're feeding your anxiety by choosing safety because safety means I'm being lazy. Safety means I'm going to do what I'm used to doing. Safety means I'm going to do what I am used to doing and I'm going to do what feels comfortable. I'm going to do what feels normal. I'm going to do what I am just, just prone to continue to do. I'm going to do what comes natural to me. We need to change. We need to, you know what we really need to do? We always need to have a friend call us out every time something fucked up happens and say, you see right there, that's where you're fucked up. Or you see right there, that's where the change needs to happen. Or you see right there, that's where, that's where things need to be adjusted a bit. We all need accountability partners. Let's find them. Let's find them. I'm living life fast, some told me slow down, but I continue speeding. The New York nights, Miami beaches, and Hollywood hoes. I'm fresh out the air, still ain't gonna see me there unless I'm weeded. It's all I know. Some told me slow down, but I continue speeding. The New York nights, Miami beaches, Hollywood hoes. I'm fresh out the air, still ain't gon' see me there unless I'm weeding. It's all I know. Oh, oh, oh.